Horatio Spafford knows a little bit about pain and suffering. He was a successful businessman in Chicago in the 1870s, and he ended up buying a large amount of uh, investment properties, and then the Chicago fire of 1871 ravaged his investment. Later on that same year, his four-year-old son died of pneumonia. A couple years later, the economy in Chicago took a downturn for the worse. And so him and his family decided, well, we're going to go to uh, England with our friend D.L. Moody for an evangelistic campaign. And so Horatio, his wife, and their four daughters planned on boarding a ship and sailing across the Atlantic. A few days later, he realized he couldn't go because of the economic downturn and the events that he had to take care of back in Chicago. So his wife and their four daughters left without him. Halfway across the Atlantic, the ship carrying his wife and four daughters collided with another ship. The ship went down. His four daughters died along with 200 other people. His wife was able to survive and made it to England. And he immediately sent a telegram back home saying, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately boarded the next ship to go to England himself, and while they were crossing through the Atlantic, the captain came on and said, this was the place where no nearly one week ago, the ship went down and over 200 people died. Horatio went down to his cabin and penned the words of the now famous song, it is well with my soul, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. When it comes to the idea of suffering, sometimes we get stuck on the, why does a good God allow pain and suffering to take place? That's not what we're going to talk about today. But if that interests you, we did a sermon series back in January called Hard Questions, and we tackled that. What we are going to look at today is how do we suffer well? This sermon series on ordinary life is an interesting one because we enjoy the Old Testament narrative in Genesis and going through these incredible stories. In January, we're going to finish up the book of Luke and understand the wonderful stories that are taking place there. But a sermon series like Ordinary Life is gritty. We start talking about speech. We talk about suffering. We talk about relationships. We talk about the purpose of life. You're not going to want to miss next week when we talk about discernment from the book of Proverbs. But it's not if we suffer. It's when we suffer. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. Notice the verse. It's the second verse of the book. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its works so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And it's not like he just is the only author that thinks this way. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. How do we suffer well? Let's pray and ask God to guide us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom literature. Thank you for what we've learned in the book of Proverbs and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. And now tackling the book of Job. 42 chapters and 35 minutes. God, may it bring you glory. Well, this might not be that super upbeat sermon that sometimes we hope to receive on a Sunday. May it be impactful for every single individual this day. Because whether or not we're going through suffering today, we know eventually something's going to happen to us. And may it be a reminder of the great and awesome God who we worship. So God, we pray that my words would fall down, that your words would be lifted up and impact us in a powerful way this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to the book of Job. The book of Job. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, the book of Job is a little bit tricky to find. You can open up the Bible to the table of contents. It'll have Job about halfway through the Old Testament. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are the verse numbers. But if you like following along word for word, I always preach from the ESV. So we're in the book of Job. We're going to be jumping around um, from the beginning of the book to the later part of the book and reading uh, some good chunks of scripture too. For those of you who enjoy taking notes, it's a super uplifting, joyful time today. We all experience pain and suffering. So here's how the book of Job works. The very opening verse, we are introduced to Job. And in that opening verse, we are told that he is a man who is blameless and upright. And it talks about how wealthy he is and how everything is going his way. The very next scene is the throne room of God. And we're introduced to God, a group of angels, and Satan among them. And Satan says to God, he goes, well, of course Job is a great guy who likes to follow you. Nothing is wrong in his life. He's rich. He has family. He has everything he needs. And God surprises Satan and says, take it away. Let's see what happens. Over the first two chapters, Job experiences utter devastation. From chapters 3 to 37, a section of 35 chapters, Job's friends come, and this cycle takes place. The friends say, you must have done something wrong. Job says, no, I didn't. And then they go over this again and again and again. And then eventually, God shows up, encounters Job, and there's a life change that takes place. We start with Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. This doesn't sound like much suffering is taking place. But when we do experience suffering and we know it's going to happen, we sometimes wonder, well, what has caused that? Now, sometimes there's not a whole lot of wondering. If we're notoriously late for work and eventually our boss lays us off, we understand that. If we cheat on a test and we get kicked out of the class, we can understand that. But to understand what Job is going through, imagine you're a 45-year-old and you go and see your doctor. And your doctor says, you have stage four colon cancer and not a lot of time to live. And so you drive to work. And then your boss says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. There's no point in you staying on anyways. And you drive home in a daze only to recognize that when you arrive at home, your spouse looks at you and says, I can't believe it, but our son was hit by a bus on the way to school today. We don't know if he's going to survive. And you cry out to God, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why on earth is this happening? And because all of us experience disaster at some part in our life, and you look back at that first verse in Job and you go, but it doesn't make sense. It's the people who disobey God that something should happen to them, not somebody who is good and righteous because I've done the right thing. Why am I experiencing this bad? 
here around Ellerslie for any length of time, you know I like alliteration and so I put it all together for us. We experience disease. And we look at our spouse and we say, God, why does our spouse have Alzheimer's? And how do I care for my spouse when they have Alzheimer's? Because it, that's not the spouse that I married. God, why do I live with fibromyalgia and I can't experience just joyful life anymore? Why do I have these debilitating headaches that make it hard to get to work each day? Why do I have cancer? God, why is disaster happening to me? Why was it my house that caught on fire? I didn't do anything wrong. It was my neighbor who was the idiot. God, why are these horrible things happening to me, like losing a job? God, this car accident, I don't know if I can afford to fix it. God, when I got married, I didn't think it would end in divorce. This isn't the happily ever after I was promised. God, why am I estranged from my kids? Why do my parents not want to talk to me? Why are family members disowning me? God, I've been married for 40 years. Why did my spouse have to die? What do I do now? God, my kid just passed away. And I don't know how to live over and over again because they were my life. And so we start to wonder and we ask these questions. God, what is the reason behind this? And I think as good people who love Jesus, we sometimes wonder, God, why is this happening to me? What did I do? Please explain this to me. Is it because I didn't tie that now my dishwasher is broken? Is it because I didn't do the right things that now I suddenly am sick? Maybe I could have eaten better? Am I not invited to Christmas parties because I talked about suffering for 35 minutes and nobody wants me at their house? What is going on? The guys from the Bible Project, David just talked about that in his announcements, came up with this triangle that I think is really helpful. Because I think as followers of Jesus, we, we understand what's taking place. We believe in a God who is just. He does the right thing. He is all loving. He is all kind. He is all holy. We worship a holy and just God. Bottom right is the retribution policy. When somebody does evil, they should be punished for that evil. We do it here on earth. If you rob a bank and you get caught, you go to jail. That's how life works. And the bottom left is Job. One verse one is so radically important. Because Job is going, I am righteous. I am blameless. Everything should work out my way. And what the guys of the Bible Project said, and I think it's fascinating, is that we only see two sides of this triangle. So here is Job, and he's going, God is just. I believe that. I believe that he punishes wrongdoing. Here me, here me, here am I. I don't know. <laughs> here am I, and I am a righteous man. I am holy and outstanding, and I glorify you with all of my thoughts, my words, and my deeds. So why am I going through such a horrific time? But then his friends show up, and they too only see their two sides of the triangle. They see God is just. Job is experiencing incredible pain and difficulty. What did he do wrong? But here is God who sees everything. And he can see all three sides of the triangle. And the book of Job is teaching us something that we need to understand if we're going to suffer well. All three of these things can happen at the exact same time. God is just. There is punishment for sin. Sometimes people experience disaster, disease, divorce, and death, even when they have done nothing 
wrong. Second part of the outline. We don't always understand our suffering. We don't always understand our suffering. This is Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. It was a day when the sons of God came and presented themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. Doesn't really fit, right? It's kind of that one of these things is not like the other. Why is Satan there? So you may or may not be aware of this. The book of Job is the most difficult book in all of scripture to figure out what the date is. We have no idea. This isn't the apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth and you're like, oh, was it 58 AD or was it 62 AD? No, no, no. We have no clue when this was written. So there's people who have put together what's called chronological Bibles. And so um, the Bible isn't necessarily in chronological order. So some people say, well, show it to me the way it's laid out. And depending on what translation you pick up, you find Job in three radically different spots. Some people put Job in the book of Genesis. It belongs with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some people put it in the middle of the conquest. And that when Joshua and the Israelites are taking over the promised land, that's when Job existed. Other people put it at the time of the kingdom of Israel. And when uh, Israel and Judah are becoming two different nations, that is when the person of Job takes place. The point that Satan is trying to do here is, doesn't matter when it is, I am going to crush him. I felt emboldened when I brought sin in the world through tricking Adam and Eve. And whether it was in Genesis, I had Noah, one righteous man, everybody else was evil. The time of the conquest, well, we've all read Judges, and we see there that it says that no one did what was good. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then you go to the nation of Israel and you recognize that after King Solomon, Israel had, I forget how many kings off the top of my head, not one of them was good. So for Satan, knocking out Job, easy breezy. Not a problem at all. Let's see what Job experiences. Picking up in verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. The Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another that said the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants from the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, there came another who said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. 
When I became lead pastor, I wanted to learn about burnout because I've seen so many people just say, I can't do it anymore. And so I did a little bit of, of reading and I learned about three different things. One thing is extremely obvious. If you work long and hard hours over and over again, week after week, you're going to burn out. None of us are surprised by that. The other two things were a little bit more interesting. The one guy said that if you constantly live in the red, so think about your car hitting the red um, RPM. He says you cannot live there where life is difficult all the time or you will burn out. Another guy said, think of a match at two different ends. Life is really hard at work, life is really hard at home, and eventually it hits the middle and blows up. It's not really easy to see. But what's happening to Job is that he is being attacked from all directions. The Sabians come from the south. They take the oxen, they kill the servants. There's fire from above that comes down and crushes him, killing his sheep and servants. The Chaldeans are the nation from the north. They come, take the sheep, and kill the servants. The wind from the east flattens his house. He's being attacked from every direction. How is Job going to respond? Chapter 1, verse 20. Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves among the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, that's the third time, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand. And touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand to spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin. Two parts of the outline. We all experience pain and suffering. We know it's going to happen. We don't like it when it does, but we know it's there. The second part, we don't always understand our suffering. And this is where many of us are when it, suffering takes place. God, why is this happening? Going back to the four Ds, you realize Job experiences all of this. He has disease. His whole body is racked with painful sores. He's experienced disaster. Everything that he owns has been destroyed or taken away. He's experienced death. His 10 children all wiped out. And he's borderline experienced divorce. His wife is saying, curse God and die. So what do we do? I want to talk about thoughts and feelings a little bit. Can you imagine Job sitting on that 
a pile of ash and sackcloth with a piece of pottery, what do you think is going through his mind? Do you think he's there going, kumbaya, my lord? Right? He's not singing. He's not happy. He is worshiping. But what does that look like? Does he actually feel that God is present? Does he actually feel as though God is there? Or does it feel like his, he begins to pray and his words hit the ceiling and come crashing down to the floor? Is he crying out to God, why is this happening to me? And I think many of us can understand that. Many of us are thinking, God, why me? What have I done? Why am I experiencing this suffering right now? Why the disaster? Why the disease? Why did my best friend have to die? Why am I going through a divorce? This isn't the plan. And if we're being really honest, there's times where God just wraps his arms around us and comforts us. And we feel that presence and we feel that power and we feel that love and our friends are awesome and our family takes care of us. But there's also times where we feel like God is not present. And we think about thoughts and we think about feelings and we go, God, I can't feel you right now. And the reason I'm a Christian is because one time I was at a worship service and I felt you. I went to camp and I felt you. The music was so God and, uh, good and emotionally I felt you and there's nothing. And to quote the great classic book, the title of the book, St. John of the Cross, it feels like the dark night of the soul. So when you can't feel God in the midst of your suffering, what do you do? We have to remind ourselves why we believed in the first place. And the importance of thinking through what we believe. Thinking through what God has done and how God has radically transformed our life. One of the greatest preachers in the 20th century is a man by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this, have you not realized that so much of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? then you must go to remind yourself of who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then end on this great note, defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with the man, I shall yet praise him, for he is my God. What do you cling to and know it is true? As wonderful as thoughts and feelings are, feelings are not enough by themselves. We have to know who God is. It's why we keep reciting that powerful verse in John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the reason why later on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he looks at his disciples and he says, I have told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. One of the greatest chapters in all of scripture. Romans chapter 8. I consider our present sufferings that are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Because we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. James, the half-brother of Jesus, starts his book, We're Going to Face Trials. Peter, one of the most outspoken apostles, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when your glory is revealed. 
why are we suffering? Why are we going through this difficulty? As Eastern religions start to creep in the way to the West, we begin to hear those things like karma. Well, you, the good things happen because you did good things. The bad things happen when you did bad things. But that's not what happens in the book of Job, which is why this book is so radically important. His friends look at him and say, Job, obviously you screwed up somewhere. Obviously you sinned. Obviously you hurt people. If you read those middle 35 chapters, they say terrible things to him. And Job is saying, I didn't do that. But God, you need to come. You need to tell me what I did wrong. This next quote was the most meaningful for me. If we know the answer of why we're suffering, our focus would be on that thing not on the God who deserves our worship and praise. Do you see what's happening there? Oh, I'm suffering because I was always late for work and that's why I lost my job. Okay, my next job, I'm gonna show up on time every day, every week, and I'm gonna be good. Oh, I'm suffering in my relationship because I wasn't the way that I was supposed to be to my spouse or to my kids or to my neighbors. Okay, I'll fix that, I'll make it better. In the book of Job, 42 chapters, we're twice given a glimpse into the throne room of God. Job never learns about that. Job is never told that this is some sort of wager between Satan and God. But if our hope and our faith and our trust is in God himself, then when we suffer, we will grow deeper into our relationship with God. Do you see how that works? Because when we suffer, it's because we're losing something that we care deeply about. We suffer because we've lost our health. And so when we lose our health, we go, God, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. We suffer when we lost our friend because we said something or did something dumb. And so we feel bad about the loss of that friendship. But when we recognize that it's God who is our greatest joy, that when it's God who is the person that we give all of ourselves to, when we suffer, it just keeps us deeper into our relationship with God so he doesn't tell Job the answers. Third point, we can trust God in the midst of our suffering. Throughout these middle 35 chapters, the friends assume they know what, God did, what Job did wrong. They assume that he was a bad guy. They assume that he was critiquing people behind their backs. They assume that he wasn't kind and would often use his money to oppress people rather than help them out. And Job comes back and he says to them, that's not what happened. And what I need you to understand is that I am upright and blameless and God has to tell me what took place. And so surprise, surprise, God shows up and God lets him have it. The book of Job is considered one of the greatest pieces of literature in the history of the world. Listen to the poetry that's here. This is Job 38, picking up in verse one. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress up, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Who has stretched the line upon it? Or were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut the sea in with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bland and prescribed limits for its set bars and doors and set this far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Verses 34 of the same chapter. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? 
Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? Chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. For the first time in three chapters, Job speaks. Job answered the Lord and he said, behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And God says, I'm not done yet. Chapter 41, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to make him your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your little girls? Will you traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold. The hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. Eventually we get to chapter 42 and Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel within knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. At the beginning of the message, when I was giving the summary, I said, God gives Job not necessarily what he wants, but exactly what he needs. God gives Job not necessarily what he wants. Job wants answers. Why am I in pain? Why did death come to my family? Why all this disaster? He doesn't answer. But he gives him what he needs. What, Job, what changes for Job isn't necessarily an answer, but an encounter. What changes for Job isn't necessarily an answer, but an encounter. He's crying out to God, and he thinks he wants answers, but that's not what he needs. What he needs is to meet with God and be radically transformed. Many of you in the room are parents, but even if you're not a parent, you can remember being a kid, and the illustration works either way. As parents, you know that kids come to you all the time and ask questions. If your kids are little like mine, they come to you and ask lots of questions. Daddy, why do we need to take a bath tonight? Daddy, why do we need to eat veggies? Daddy, why do we need to read before bedtime? Daddy, why do we need to go to church? Daddy, why do we not get ice cream every single night? And as parents, sometimes you answer the questions. Sometimes you say, veggies are good for you, and this is to make you healthy and strong. We read because that's how you grow in wisdom and knowledge, and you understand bigger and broader worlds. But sometimes we don't answer. Sometimes we just do what we do, because we have a broader perspective of what's taking place. And we don't always answer all of our kids' questions because we know that there's more things going on than their little minds can comprehend. And you can, sure, you can see the illustration. We're crying out to God, why this disaster in my life? Why did that loved one die? 
Why is my relationship not going the way that I want it to? Why is work not nearly as successful as I imagined it to be? And God is saying, trust me. And like a little kid will go up to his mom and dad and say, I just want a hug. Or as a parent will go to their little child and say, come here, daughter, I just want to give you a hug. Our heavenly father is saying, I know everything that's going on. None of this is a surprise to me. Will you come back? Will you trust me that I know what is best? Earlier on in the message, I said that in Job chapter one, Job is attacked from all sides, and this is the screen that I showed. And maybe you looked at that and you're like, oh, that's interesting. He gets attacked from the south and from the north and from the east and from above. Do you notice that he's not attacked from the west? Throughout the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, we have a continual theme. God always comes from the west. And if you're going east, you're going away from God. And if you're going west, you turn towards God. And God is saying, I know that you're experiencing the pain and suffering. Come back to me and I will give you rest. Pray even when the heavens feel like brass. Read the scriptures even when it feels like agony. Come and worship even when you don't want to get out of bed. Meet with your friends even when that feels like the last thing you want to do because I am going to meet with you in the midst of your pain and suffering. I'd like to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. For those of you who are on the prayer team, if you could come forward. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm going through some really bad times right now. We would love to pray with you. We would love to put our hands on you and to pray that God's blessing, his comfort, his love would be upon you. We always finish by talking about Jesus. You remember that triangle that there would be God's justice and then there would be um, the, what would happen if you didn't follow God and Job's righteousness. And Job is going, I'm an innocent sufferer. Why is this happening to me? But at the very end, he repents and he goes, God, I'm sorry for what I did. But there is a truly innocent sufferer. And God sent his one and only son who loves us so much that he came to earth on a rescue mission. The son of God did not give up his divinity, did not give up his godness, but he took on humanity. So at one time he is both fully God, fully man, in one what they call hypostatic union. And he lived a perfect and holy life. And because he knows that his father is just, because he knows that there is a retribution policy and that there must be a punishment for the sin, the one truly innocent sufferer said, I am going to pay that price. I'm going to climb upon that cross and I am going to die. The one and only truly innocent sufferer took on the pain of the world so that we, all who believe in him, might have the glory of Christ. It's why Horatio Spafford could, in the way to, the Atlantic, uh, to England, across the Atlantic Ocean, could go down to his cabin, and in the midst of horrible loss, pen the powerful words, it is well with my soul. I'm gonna pray. The worship team is gonna lead us in that very song. And whether you sit there and just cry out to God, whether you stand and lift up your voices and blow the roof off this place. Know that we are to suffer well because we have a perfectly innocent God who suffered on our behalf so that we might receive the riches of Christ. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of the book of Job. May we be a people who suffer well. And whether we're in this room right now experiencing suffering at this very moment or whether we're here today going, I was doing really well and didn't think we'd talk about suffering. That we would be a church that loves deeply. That we would not run away from you but would instead run to you. That we would lift our voices up in song to a great and holy God knowing that we are called to worship. Pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.